0: Hello, everyone. I can see you coming into the chat room. I'm just going to wait a little bit because we are a minute early and everyone knows what cybersecurity is like. Everyone's operating on intense schedules. So I know sometimes people are are busy. For those listening, Jacob is on the virtual stage now. How are you doing, Jacob? Doing well. How are you? Good, Good. yeah. Thank you, my friend. Very good. For everyone listening, I was just waiting when um, when someone's a speaker, I get a little chance to have a little chit chat with Jacob before everyone comes in. And I was just telling him how nervous I get on the lives compared to the pre-recorded podcast where it's live, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking. As when I can see you asking a question. What we'll do at the end is we'll just save a little bit of time for some questions and stuff like that. So it's okay with you, my friend. We're gonna we're gonna crack on with the show. We're gonna add loads of value and then we'll do some, some questions uh, towards the end. My guest today is Jacob Hill. I'm just going to give yeah. Jacob a bit of an mm. introduction just to give everyone listening a bit of an insight into Jacob's background and how, how he's really going to be able to have value and, uh, and what it's really worth listening to what Jacob's got to say today. So back in 2008, good. Jacob started in, I, good, in IT support e, EGMG technical services. He then moved I on to think. DIT, so then... Marine Corps Systems Command where he was also IT support. He then was a project manager, SharePoint admin, and team lead for Marine Corps Systems Command. Later, Jacob progressed within the same organization to cybersecurity analyst, information system security manager, and SharePoint administrator. He was there for around five years, then moved on to Integrity Intelligence, Inc., where Jacob was a SharePoint consultant. Then, after that, Jacob moved to SimVentions, based in Virginia. He was a cybersecurity engineer and SharePoint developer. Currently, Jacob is the founder of Tech Fused LLC, which he's a web designer, web host, and a new demi instructor teaching 9,000 students in 127 different countries. Also, Jacob is currently the founder of the GRC Academy. And in addition to that, this is all simultaneously, by the way, the the, the, the last three, Jacob uh, is currently the director of cyber operations at Alamo City Engineering Services, Inc., and prior to that, he was the cyber security manager at the same organization.
1: Wow, Jacob, first of all, where'd you find the time, my friend? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah it definitely keeps me busy that's for sure <laughs> so i've
0: done you quite a, a detailed introduction there but do no, where i always like to start if you can just give us a probably do it a little better than, than me but if you can tell us a bit more about who you are and what you've been up to career-wise that'd be a really nice place to start
1: my friend yeah certainly So I, as Thomas mentioned, I started out in IT support doing help desk work. My first position was uh, doing help desk, but also I got to do some server support a little bit. It got into the server realm a little bit into Active Directory and things like that. And then I was at a very small site, 25 users or so, something like that. And it was a really good experience, really great learning experience. Made some connections. And I think that one of the things that I learned there was service with a smile makes a difference. And you never know who might be able to help you out later in your career. I was able to get a letter of recommendation from a gentleman who was very senior in the organization. And from there, when I was interviewing for another position down the road, I think one of the main reasons I got the position was I showed that letter of recommendation to the gentleman I was interviewing with, and he was like, Oh, that guy. So that really helps. And connections really make a difference. And I would I would encourage everyone to get letters of recommendation. Try to get one. These days, back then it was on a it was a PDF, it was a letter, it was an actual typed out letter. These days we have LinkedIn, and I think that either way. Uh, Get what you can from the folks uh, that really appreciate you and uh, can say good words about you because I think it really makes a difference. Uh, But uh, beyond that, I got my start in cybersecurity compliance uh, when I was working at Marine Corps Systems Command. I was a government employee for about five years, and I was able to jump into the compliance arena. Back then, the DOD was, the Department of Defense in the United States here, was under the uh, DiaCap program uh that's how we get ATOs for our systems and authorize them um and uh and that's how i got my start in the NIST cybersecurity world of course uh, back then everyone the DoD was talking about going to a risk management framework and and the NIST world and so that's how i got my start in cybersecurity and then today i am the director of cyber operations at a small business in Texas everything is bigger in Texas they say it's a great company to work for. Really appreciate the company. And also the founder of GRC Academy. And we're a training and research website, essentially. I have CMMC and NIST Cybersecurity Framework trending on there currently, looking to expand the catalog. And of course, I host the GRC Academy podcast as well. And so a little bit about me. Yeah,
0: no, no. Thank you, Jake. And that's great. And one of the reasons I wanted to get you on was Obviously, you, you're very much, you've got your ear to the ground. You're very much in tune when it comes to teaching people. You've had a lot of career progression and uh, self-development yourself. It's something I'm really passionate about. I think mm-hmm. since the advent of remote working, we've got to be doing live events like this because we're no longer in the office chatting away on lunch breaks or a water cooler chat, as we as, as we like to call it. There's a, so there's a few plenty of things to unpack. There's something we're going to go into in a minute where... By the way, for everyone listening, Jacob got a cyber information assurance master's degree in 15 days. So we're going to really unpack that in a minute because I think aptitude and ability to pick new things up quick, especially in security, if you if you can master that skill or get pretty good at that skill, you're going to go a long way. But Jacob, just a question I wanted to ask you. You mentioned about that letter of recommendation. Maybe this stay it's a LinkedIn testimonial. Maybe or this day and age it's, it's an email. If I'm standing here now thinking that all sounds great, how do I get it? How do I get that recommendation? Where do I start? How would you advise me if that was my thought process I was having?
1: Yeah, certainly. So I would think about folks that you've been able to do awesome work for in your company or maybe a customer. And just think about the folks that really appreciated the work you've done. And maybe they even wrote a letter to your boss saying, uh, in this case, Jacob did an awesome job, fantastic. I think people are more than willing and more than happy when you've made them happy in the past. And even if it's a year later or something like that, connections, I mean, they, they mean a great deal. And I really, what I love about LinkedIn is it allows us to maintain these connections over time because you know how it is if you leave a job, if you left a job before LinkedIn, but you might get the person's phone number or maybe their email or something like that. But LinkedIn really makes it easy to stay in contact with the folks as we move around from position to position. So I I definitely think just starting the conversation, it may be a little nerve wracking depending on who you're talking to. But I think that folks are, most folks are really happy to help. And that's what it is. And maybe someday you can return the favor. That's just how it tends to work. And depending on the area you're working in it's a small world so i think just starting the conversation think about who you might want to reach out to who you've made happy in the past who you've done great work for who recognizes you in the past and just see what happens
0: yeah no definitely and, and you're right by the way the The community is just it is just so small even globally certainly within europe or just within america and kind of everyone knows someone so i think it, it definitely comes and Definitely comes back around, and I like the point you make about LinkedIn as well. It's funny, Jacob, because I, I'll speak to some people and I'm like, How I've not spoken to this guy or girls for a year, and they're being like really familiar with me. And then it's plots that they've probably seen me post every day for the last year. It does enable you to maintain yes. relationships and your network on a much larger scale than there's only so many hours in a, in, in a day, and then when you start to think about trying to get a bit of balance and burnout and stuff like that, which Balance probably isn't my strong point, but yeah, it, it, makes a, it makes a huge difference. Just another thing I wanted to ask you, about five minutes ago, you said the company you started at was 25, there's around 25 of you. Do you think for people listening that are really trying to double down on moving forward, career progression, do you think they'd be better off starting at a smaller company or is there any kind of thoughts you've got in relation to that?
1: That's a very good question. I think in the tech industry, and I'm speaking about the United States, I'm sure it works elsewhere in other countries as well. But from what I've seen, the every two or three years, you typically, you have to move to a different position to get that 25K, 30K pay bump. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But what's interesting and about my current company is that this is... One of the few companies that I've worked for in the past where I have been able to get a promotion with a significant pay increase, which is amazing. Not all companies will do that. And whether or not you should start out with a small or a larger company, I think on the small company side, I think that you can get exposed to a lot more different areas than a larger company because smaller companies, typically they're they maybe they're less process oriented you know what i'm saying they many the same people wear many hats in a lot of cases mm. and so you can get exposed to a lot of different areas opposed to working for a, a very large company where you're you're doing one thing and one thing only so i think there's value on both sides depending on what you want to do and small companies have their frustrations <laughs> large companies do too mm. so it just depends on how What your goals are, and and I will say this: small companies, they—you have to be very, very driven. You know what I'm saying? To, I think, to succeed in many small companies, because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of room, a lot of overhead for folks who are not a players or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, just motivation. Come with your motivation on every day and just kill it. But I think, like I said, I think small companies they offer great opportunities and other opportunities that you may not get in uh, larger businesses.
0: Uh, definitely. Again, makes complete sense. If you're in a, if you're in a four, if the headcount of, of your business is four, like I say, you are 25% of the business. So <clears throat> don't think for one second that you can uh, have a few days here and there chilling out. It's just not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> so you need to really think about who you are. I say, if you're really passionate driven and you don't mind that kind of intensity, you're going to be highly accountable in a small in a smaller firm. And yeah, uh, I, I, I can see what you mean. If you're in a smaller company and you've got access to to senior leaders, I can I can see that that's going to really bolster the career progression. But Jacob, so towards me, mate, 15 days to get this master's degree. So what I'm really interested in is like how the hell did that happen? Firstly, but also secondly, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, if you've got if you're able to learn new things quickly, it's part and parcel of security, like threats in the wild and what's going on and attack vectors, everything's changing all the time. And then you start thinking about machine learning and AI and that's the kind of whole, we could do a whole another show on that. So I think with everything taken into account, I think the ability to pick new things up quick. And I know from my day job as a recruiter, this is something that employers love to see. So can you tell us how the degree in 15 days happened to give us any yeah, learning? Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, it's fine.
0: No, no, go on, mate. No, it's fine.
1: Excellent. I got my master's degree, as you said, in about 15 days from Western Governors University. And what I really appreciate about Western Governors University is they, if you know the material, they allow you to accelerate. So essentially it's a self, it's mostly a self-driven program and it is not time bound based on a lecture schedule. It's all based on how hard you want to work And, and also the knowledge you will come in with. So from my experience, I I had two certifications that knocked out two of 10 classes. So I had to complete eight classes. I had been, I I hadn't gone to college for 10, 11 years. One of the challenges I had was I said, okay, I think this is achievable within 30 days. But when I started, I had to re-motivate myself because I was like, oh man, I don't feel like doing schoolwork, but I just sat down and I just worked on the projects that the classes had. Now for me, and I don't think this is the normal experience, but for me, I have been in this sector for over 15 years now, and I've gotten through a lot of trainings, have a, a number of certifications, and I've seen most of what the the degree program covered right so i was pretty familiar with much of it i had there were some gaps that i had to address and there was i think three proctored exams and i was so thankful everything just went well i had to get CompTIA t cysa plus and i got that i think at the end of the first week so thankfully all of that just went very well and based mm-hmm. on my knowledge and experience coming in I was able to complete everything within 15 days. Like I said, I don't think that's the normal experience. But another thing I love about WGU is they, you pay by six month terms and essentially you can complete as many courses as you can within that six month term. So for me, my master's degree costs maybe a little over $5,000. That's in a, it's an immense value. WGU is regionally accredited. They're recognized by the RNSA as a security center of excellence and all that good stuff. So it's from my standpoint, why would I spend $60,000 on a master's degree where I I feel, I know that I can always learn. I know I recognize that, but I feel like (laughs) I'm coming in with a lot of knowledge. I didn't want to spend two to three years and then $60,000 over time. So this made a lot of sense for me. I would encourage everybody to take a look at Western Governors University fantastic value great experience and if you're going for your bachelor's degree you'll come out with a boatload of certifications too so mm. security mm. certifications. so i th- i just think it's great cool
0: thank you well, listen if you're paying six months terms isn't the rate you were going at you put out our business jacob you'd get nothing done <laughs> <laughs> right the one thing I wanted to pick up on as well, and by the way, I think you're very modest, my friend. I think with anything, I think you use the word look there. But I'm a firm believer you you make your own look, and you referenced at the start though, that you didn't necessarily feel like it. Obviously, you're a busy chap anyway, and I think that's something to really tap into. And I see it across different professionals I'm dealing with within cybersecurity, and you could be doing the most the most glamorous role ever within cybersecurity, whether that's cloud security engineer, whether that's a really low level red team hacker, whether it's managing a cybersecurity team. I think there's always going to be times where you don't feel like it. And there's always going to be aspects of right? a certain job where you don't feel like it. And I think there's, I'm not saying what certain people listening right now and necessarily like that, but I do know for a fact there's a lot of people out there, that when they don't feel like it, it's, um, Perhaps I said, didn't do it, and clearly you do. Have you got any motivational tips for
1: pulling yourself through, or is it just the way you are? Or, Yeah, I think just take one step at a time. It was a bit overwhelming looking at the whole program and looking at all that I would have to do. Uh, one step at a time, one day at a time, just keep knocking it out. Keep doing the right things, um, and eventually success comes. It's just keep making those good decisions every day, and success will come. It's just a matter of time. Cool. Cool, very good. So, moving on to the GRC Academy, you're the founder. I'm
0: falling more and more in love with the GRC. I think I'm seeing more and more benefits when it comes to career progression and self development. Can you tell me and the listeners what the GRC Academy is all about and how it can help them?
1: Yeah, certainly. So, GRC Academy is it's a training uh, platform and it has a a few different uh, resources out there for folks. One is Security Control Explorers, which are you know it, it. they're from NIST, right? So most of them. So uh, I have NIST 853, which is RMF, 800 171 172, and then the CMMC, which we'll be talking about in a moment. Um, but uh, what I like about it is it puts all of the information related to those security controls on a, in a web format, and you can get away from that ed- ugly spreadsheet and be able to consume them in a much easier manner. So that, that's one thing that's out there. And then another thing is the GRC Academy podcast. I'm having, I may be having a a higher education panel here pretty soon with some folks from some really, really big universities coming on the podcast to talk about uh, their experience with uh, NIST 800-171 and CMMC. So that 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 could be really fascinating. I have right now. I have a podcast editing backlog, and if if folks, if you ever start a podcast, oh, editing is going to be my death. (laughs) You need to um, get some support. So I, I sure have a backlog support. right now, but I have some great episodes coming out. One uh, one of interest is with Zscaler, and they are a technology company that really focus in on a, a number of zero trust aspects, how to have a lot of success in commercial as well as government. We talked about zero trust and trying to get to <laughs> zero trust is a buzzword, right? At this mm-hmm. point, what does it actually mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I think uh, that was, that'll be a fascinating conversation. and. Just some other episodes that are coming out i actually had the opportunity and the honor to speak with uh, dr ron ross from nist and he has been so influential over uh, cyber security the last 10 20 years he wrote the risk management framework he's the lead author of that and a number of special publications from nist so i was really honored to be able to speak with him but yeah it's i i and i try to keep it buried i spoke with another a privacy attorney about the privacy laws that are coming out in the U.S., whether or not the privacy law at the federal level is the United States GDPR, stuff like that. I I like to (laughs) vary it up and talk about all kinds of different aspects of cyber. And then, uh, then of course, I have cybersecurity training on GRC Academy, uh, CMC, as well as NIST Cybersecurity Framework, and we'll be looking to expand the catalog soon. Cool. Thank you, mate. You just created about five more questions over in
0: my head that I need to ask. <laughs> about where you just around. So the podcast, where can I find it? What's the easiest way to uh, get access?
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you go on your favorite podcasting app, just search for GRC Space Academy and it'll pop right up there. Otherwise, you can go to grcacademy.io and click on the podcast link and you'll see all the episodes there.
0: Okay, cool. And the... So the GRC Academy, it's essentially a really nice platform. It really enables you to accelerate and improve your learnings because it's much more kind of user-friendly. I know you mentioned moving away from the spreadsheet. So it's a really nice, I know a lot of people learn in in a visual way. So Mm -hmm. is it really tapping into into that aspect of things as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Control Explorer is really, uh, the, the goal is to put all the information on one page because From a NIST standpoint, you'll have security controls. Then you have assessment procedures and assessment objectives. And if some people miss those assessment objectives, uh, which are meant for an auditor, even for an implementer, they're so critical. So putting it all on one page in a nice, friendly way (laughs) is what i tried to do there. It makes a difference. And earlier you mentioned about feeling overwhelmed, and it's
0: an experience I've got a lot on myself at the minute, and I'm constantly feeling overwhelmed. And I think sometimes it's so easy to be just stopped in your tracks when you feel like that. I think it's you've got to just do something almost. You just to almost get that momentum back. And it's, um, I think there's a lot of stuff we're talking about now. Some people might be listening thinking, God, this is a lot to, lot to take in. But I think the key is to keep moving forward. And just one point I, I just want to pick up on, Jacob, is you've had a lot of career progression and, and Your communication is really good. And for everyone listening, it's really clear to see. And I think for anyone feeling overwhelmed, if you can focus on those communication skills, it kind of ties really nicely in with what you said earlier about recommendations and someone Mm -hmm. knowing someone you knew. I'm not saying the technical skills don't matter. They do. Of course they do. We're in security. They're essential. But if you can get that communication and get that communication thing skill sharp, it, it goes a long way. Yes. Have you got any? I know you've given us a few already, Jacob. Have you got any
1: other tips for getting the getting communication skills really good? Yeah. Right in line with that, one of the best bosses I ever had gave me this advice, and he said, and it sounds so simple, but he told me tailor your presentation to your audience. Think about who your audience is, and that everybody we all know that, but if you actually think about it and apply it, um. It makes a huge difference. And in just thinking about all the things that happen in an organization and the breakdowns that happen and why something didn't get done, oftentimes it just comes because of communication problems. <laughs> but you have that engineer who is talking ones and zeros to the CEO and <laughs> um, that doesn't work. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> and you, we have to think about who our audience is, what do they care about? What do they want to know? Because we in cybersecurity, we have a lot of in the weeds things we're thinking about. But if you're talking to the C-suite or maybe the directors or something like that, they have a different set of things they're worried about. So you have to think about how can I communicate to my audience in a way that's most effective for them? Because Mm -hmm. just talking amongst your cyber team, That's a whole different conversation opposed to talking to an executive level audience and trying to get a budget, for example. So just consider your audience, think about what they care about, and then tailor your presentation from there. No,
0: it's true. It it sounds simple, but it's hard. Even like listening, like for me to keep asking you questions off the back of what you're saying, I can feel like I'm having to really concentrate and listening to skill and Think about thinking about others instead of yourself first. That's it. It's a skill. Like naturally, reach. a lot of us probably think about ourselves first. Sometimes you've got to think about the other person, the audience, and and, and not put yourself first. And it comes some some people easier than others. But yeah, it's it's definitely worth mentioning. It sounds simple, but sometimes I think it is. It can be pretty tricky. So Jacob C C M M C. So I. Promised some of, I've told some of my government contract uh, company clients about this. I mentioned it to a few. They didn't know anywhere near as much about it as they should have done. And they're really interested to hear what you've got to say. So, CMMC, what is it? How's it going to affect the security space?
1: Yeah, excellent. All right. There is a set of security controls called NIST 800 171. And the DOD has been, our Department of Defense has been hacked many times, right? And they're, we're losing controlled and classified information on contractor networks that are unclassified. So the problem that we're trying to solve is we're trying to harden the network of defense contractors because the government, they've done a pretty good job of hardening their networks and things like that, putting it different. All kinds of security tools and everything, but the adversary has determined that maybe it's easier to compromise defense contractors that aren't, that don't have much security in place or don't have the tools, don't have the budget for all the security. There's a standard called NIST 800 171. It's a set of 110 security controls. And the DOD's CMC program, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program, is a way to have a third party assess a defense contractor's implementation of NIST 800-171. What DOD has learned is that they can't trust defense contractors to simply say, yes, we are good to go. Everything's great. We've implemented the security controls and uh, everything's good. Don't worry. Uh, They've learned that they can't trust that. Uh, They have done audits on defense contractors and found, even if the contractor says we have a perfect score, compliance score, that in many cases, it's just not correct. And it's either because the contractor didn't understand or uh, there was a a Penn State false claims act, I think that has recently come out that a lot of you have probably seen that was on this very topic of NIST 800-171 in falsifying their compliance scores. Really sad story, but Mm. the CMMC is a way to give the DoD more assurance that defense contractors are implementing the security controls. And the focus is bringing in independent third-party assessors to come in and do audits. Very similar to the ISO 27001 world. In the NIST world, at least from a defense contractor standpoint or a private entity standpoint, third-party assessments are new. So CMMC just focuses on DOD contractors right now. It could expand federal-wide, but uh, we'll see what happens. And from what I'm understanding, the CMMC requirements will be uh, showing up in contracts sometime next year, uh, probably late next year. But depending on the results of the regulatory rulemaking process, which is a totally different conversation... (laughs) <laughs> it probably will be later next year.
0: Mm, cool. Thank you, Jacob. So just to summarize, we know that the DOD have got the security posture to a certain standard where black hats are thinking, this is getting really tricky. So the new way to attack them is through supply chain attack. They're hitting the government contractors, yes. yeah, and they're getting in that way. US government are going, no, nah, had enough, not for us. You guys, new, new government contractors doing any form of business with us, you better up your security posture, or we don't want to work for you. If it- and we know it's coming in next year. If I'm a government, if I own a government contractor and I'm thinking, oh, this, this sounds pretty serious. What would you say to me? What what advice would you give me to get myself where i
1: I would start looking at the security requirements of NIST 800-171. As I said before, I do have a security control explorer uh, for NIST 800-171 on grcacademy.io. So take a look at that. And I just... I actually spoke at my first security conference uh, last week, which was interesting. It was a milestone for me, right? So I'm happy about that. Uh, But I spoke about our experience implementing NIST 800-171 in a small business. And small business, uh, lots of challenges there, whether it's budgetary resources, the right people or whatever. If you have cybersecurity staff, get them to look at NIST 800-171. Take a look at those security controls and evaluate where you are, where you stand with that. Right now, NIST 800-171 is the federal standard. There is a contractual rule that will be a contractual clause that will appear in all federal contracts. When, and maybe, I don't know the timeline on it, but that's coming to implement NIST 800-171. I think agencies are requiring it via policy right now, but there's actually a contractual rule. But for DOD, we already have that contractual rule in place, and then CMMC is gonna be where we're checked by a third party. So I would definitely advise get your eyes on this state under 171. If you support the federal government, you definitely want to get up to speed on this. If Mm. you support DOD, uh, your timeline is rapidly approaching your deadlines. Get ahead of it if you can. Mm.
0: Cool. Thanks, Jacob. So you mentioned the company
1: that you helped out
0: and implemented. This 800-171, was that, so that was for, obviously you don't have to name that company, but that was for a company supply. that was for a government contractor agency.
1: Yeah, my current yeah. company, Alamo City Engineering oh. Services. Oh,
0: cool. Okay. How long did it take?
1: Whew. There were some stops and starts. So I'll probably say it would take, if I started today, and with the same knowledge set of what I had back then, probably a year and a half.
0: Okay, a year and a half. And your headcam is... Does okay. the headcount affect it? The headcount
1: of the company, does that affect the timelines of how long it would take to, to get things over the line? I think for most companies, it's 12 to 18 months. Okay, uh, cool. Probably Depending on the size and complexity, it, it could be a little more, but that's probably around the average.
0: Okay, cool. And if I'm, if I'm a government, company, if I'm, say, a SharePoint developer working, you know, TSCI security current SharePoint dev, or a med team, is there anything? else I should be aware of or any additional advice you could give me or anything I should be doing.
1: In relation to the cybersecurity controls, just make sure you're aware of your company's policies and processes related to, and maybe even because SharePoint developers, we can bring in uh, different pieces of code to and different code libraries to our environments. And so your process, your company may have a process around secure coding and Just making sure that, where did you get this code? Are you bringing in a backdoor to the company? Maybe some cross-site scripting stuff. So I think from that standpoint, just make sure you're following your company's processes and policies related to secure coding. And then whatever else they have around secure processes. Because I know I've worked with Power Automate and things like that. And there are definitely considerations when when it comes down to, building those flows and maybe you might expose some information that you didn't think about. I would just say follow your company's processes and policies. And if there aren't any, maybe you think about some from a security standpoint, because we're all in this together. And what I said at the conference is that we as the security team, we can't make this happen on our own. We need the whole business to jump on board with us. So it's definitely a collaborative process.
0: cool. So if anyone's listening, and obviously we're going to release this on um, uh, Spotify, Apple Pods, podcast addicts. If, if anyone's got any questions for you, with, are you, are you cool for people to to reach out and stuff like that? If anyone, yeah, yeah, certainly, mm. cool. And is there any other questions I should ask you on this? Do you think, Jacob, that could help help people listening? I know you're you're the massively the expert on when it comes to the whole CMMC situation and the changes in the legalities, et cetera, et cetera, is there anything else that you think I should, that we should mention that could help people uh, listening now and in the future?
1: Yes. NIST 800-171 and CMMC are all about controlled and classified information. It's a information centric standard. Uh, whereas, so CUI, controlled and classified information is is now a regulated piece of information. So similar to Privacy information, which is regulated by privacy laws or health regulation, which might be regulated by HIPAA or something like that. CUI is regulated by the government and NIST 800-171 is the standard to protect that on non-federal systems. And a lot of the conversation around this um, from, and this is not a, this is not a controlled and classified information uh, problem per se. This is an information problem. And when you come first start first start the process, just figuring out where that information is, who handles it. And like I said, you could have the same conversation with health data, with privacy data. So I, I think that if you want to get to NIST cybersecurity, uh, there's a lot of overlap between all these different frameworks. We also, in our own company, we did uh, some certification audits internally for ISO 27001 information security, 20,000 TAC1, IT service management, and then 9001 quality management. And we completed that a few months ago. And what I'll tell you is that there was a lot of overlap between NIST 800-171 and ISO 27001. ISO has some additional considerations for privacy that NIST does not. And NIST is focused on the confidentiality of the data. ISO is focused on the whole CIA triad, but yeah, there's a lot of overlap. And so I would say if you can get into one, you can definitely move into the, move into others. And I think it's a great field to get into.
0: Hmm. Cool. Thanks Jacob. And by the way, for anyone listening to this now in the future, that's in the government contractor space, somebody who's a shock to them. I've spoke to multiple government contractors and various different people within the organizations and people don't know as much about this as, as you would expect. So if you are listening and you start, and you, and you are thinking, Oh oh dear, or I don't know enough about this, then I can assure you from offline conversations I've had that I, I know there's a lot of people in the same boat. But Jacob, thanks for that. You've given us you've given us loads of I'm just asking, is is there anything else at all from the if you were in the government space, is there anything else I think we're about I'm sure there is loads of other stuff, but stuff you could talk about now on the pod, or do you think we've about covered it?
1: Yeah, I think a big conversation that's going on in federal contracting, especially when you're looking at partners and strategic partners, is uh, their cybersecurity compliance. It's really becoming a focus. Um, NIST 800-171 is a big part of that. So I said this again, but if you're in the U.S. federal contracting space, get on this don't wait for it. (laughs) If you're not a DOD contractor, NIST 800-171 is is likely a requirement via policy, but it will be contractually required very soon. So definitely jump on this. Don't wait, because if you wait, then it could cause problems. And it's definitely a big risk for your company Uh, overall, just if you're not operating in a secure manner (laughs) day-to-day, there are other risks beyond compliance and contractual risks mm. what if you deal with a ransomware event are you prepared mm. for that all well, the mm. impacts that could have to your business mm. i myself i i view compliance as a way to achieve security true security because uh, without compliance and the requirements behind it uh, oftentimes people don't just don't want to do it so I, I view compliance as a driver mm. to get to uh, real security
0: definitely we know this from pcr dss pen testing left till november or december every year mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, Jacob. I'll just move on, on to the... so GRC. We've mentioned it's a great. It, 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 I know it's an area of cybersecurity where there is actually a skill shortage. Rather than I know the media say there's a skill shortage everywhere, it's only at the very senior end of the market in many parts of of cybersecurity. I know GRC is a valuable skill set. It's it's also a great way in. What other learning material have you, are you aware of online that could help people wanting to really get get their head around GRC?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do know there's a few great resources out there. Gerald Auger, I believe, I'm hoping I'm saying his name correctly. He has a great GRC analyst masterclass out there. And that's Gerald, A U G E R. And if you just Google Gerald Auger GRC course, you'll find it. I think that's a really good course. I don't have a, a GRC overview course yet. I will one day. So take his course for now. But I do think that there there's some really good podcasts out there. If you're interested in the NIST world and CMMC, Seven is definitely a company to follow. They have a great podcast as well. Jacob Horn, Jason Sprouser, they're really knowledgeable guys. So take a look at that. Of course, my own podcast, if you are interested in that. And I think that just having... But also get, it, get into the technical weeds because as GRC professionals, oftentimes people just think about paperwork and policies and process. But if you're analyzing vulnerabilities and building out mitigations and trying to mitigate those vulnerabilities, having a technical background is so valuable because, and when I was with the government, I would see cybersecurity people just say no. And the reason why was because they just didn't know. They Mm -hmm. didn't know if it was okay. They didn't know. They couldn't evaluate the risk because they didn't have the technical background to do it. So if you're able to, and and this is a goal over time, right? I find every single day there's something I don't know and something I try to learn. And so it's an ever it's a never ending journey as technology continues to evolve it will always be learning but if, if you're not technical i would encourage you to take it upon yourself to get onto some of those those platforms like Try Hack Me or there's another one uh, my brother runs it serveracademy.com if you're interested in windows administration and just trying to you know if you're trying to understand what the system administrators are trying to tell you as a cyber person Getting your hands into the weeds, I think, is very valuable and can make you much more valuable, and even help your communication skills because you'll be able to speak at a technical level to the folks that are trying to tell you, but no, we can't implement this security control because it'll break the system." If you don't have a technical background and you don't, it's just so helpful to have that background. I would Mm.
0: say, yeah, no, definitely, definitely, and I, I, I would add to that as well. If people can get obsessed with communication skills and obsessed with the technical side, they're just going to go an incredibly long way because those two things combined, I think, are a dangerous combination in a, in a really good way. Also as well, so the two things you mentioned there, Gerald Morgan and serveracademy.com. So what we'll do is we'll, uh, what I'll probably do, Jacob, is, e- is email you after later on today or something and get the exact URLs and links of you and stuff like that. And then when this goes on the the various digital channels that it goes on. Everyone will have the exact uh, link to that, if that's okay with you, mate. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool, right, mate. I know I promised you an hour, so I'm going to fly and speed us up a little bit. What's the best way for me to get a mentor, whether I'm senior, mid, uh, junior? It's massively important for self-development. How do I get one?
1: Yeah, certainly. Certainly. I, I would say... It's a great question. And there are a few ways, a few different ways to do it. Ideally, it would be someone that you personally know. That's my opinion. Because if you're looking at some of these, these folks on LinkedIn, the LinkedIn influencers, as I would, you, we would say yeah. those folks don't have a lot of time and it's difficult to get on their schedule. Some of them do offer it. And I would say you might be able to speak with them once or maybe twice, but I would say if there's a person in respect and believe you can learn from and you've worked with them in the past, I think that personal connection there, give back that that will really pay off. You might you may be able to, as I said, you might be able to get in touch with somebody on, on LinkedIn who you don't know, but time is a problem for a lot of these types, a lot of these folks. And then I just think having the personal connection there is will probably give you the most returns. I- I'd be interested to hear what you say about that, Thomas.
0: Yeah, thankfully. I think you hit the nail on the head when you say everyone, everyone is extremely busy. And the two words that i always brought, it's more than two words, and the two things I always like to say is, be extremely polite and extremely persistent. and I mean, mm-hmm. as long as you're both of them, you, you're okay. And I don't mean, I don't think that to hit someone up like every day. There's a certain way to do things and not to do things. But you know, even if I compare it to getting the podcast launched or winning a client in recruitment or having mentors that I've got within my day job, none of it comes easy. It's all about. Actually planning, taking a bit of a strategic approach. You know, I actually go as far as putting things in spreadsheets. And if there's a certain podcast guest that, that I want on, I will have I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hit him or her up there, right? I'm gonna send him a message there, right? I'm gonna send him a video there and I'll plan it all out. I mean, Jacob, I've forgotten how many times I approached you, but I wouldn't have imagined it was just one message and straight on. I probably have to be I can't remember making Can you I probably have to be a little bit persistent to, to get you on the show, did I? Can you remember? Yeah, you were out with me. <laughs> to me with, on a video
1: call and I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. <laughs> but I didn't
0: respond.
1: <laughs> Sorry, mate. No, 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 exactly. And that's the thing. People will listen to it's me chatting now
0: and they probably thought it was an absolute formality for me to get you to do this LinkedIn live. But again, I do, I wasn't, I've I i not even got our message history in front of me. I've not got much my spreadsheet in front of me, so I couldn't remember. But I, I knew that a man in your position doing what you've got on running multiple businesses, managing cybersecurity teams. I know it is not just a case of going, hi, Jacob, do you want to come on the podcast? It just, or it very rarely ever works like that. So I think my message is take a strategic approach, track what you're doing. Don't, not, I'm not saying hit people up every five minutes, but I am saying you've got to be polite and persistent, leave a bit of time. Yes. and It all needs tracking. Streak CRM is great for it as well. That's like a tool that can manage your outreach and remind you when to reach out. In certain periods of time without being a annoying and keeping it all professional so yeah that would be my put my friend and i just want to share which podcast or book has had the most positive effect on your career so far and you're
1: not allowed to say mine in your podcast i think that summit seven's podcast has been really beneficial and overall it, it, they're in the cmmc space and mm. They put out excellent information and I've been following them for years and they launched a podcast last year, but before that they had a lot of video-based material and just excellent material on their website that was very informative, very value-based. So I really have appreciated Summit Seven's content because it really helped me make sure that I was going in the right direction for CMMC as I was building out our program. Cool. Thank you, my friend. You mentioned your, by
0: the way, congratulations on that talk. You mentioned it was a new milestone for you about 10, 15 minutes ago. Where can I find that that talk and how will that help listeners just for everyone listening now?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So if you go to a, it's a website, cloud.cs2, that's where you can find the talk. I I think it's probably behind a paywall. I'm not sure if they'll publish it or not, like publicly. But uh, if you go to, sorry, it's cs2.cloud. Yeah, cs2.cloud. For all the people who were just like, (laughs) what? (laughs) CS2 Cloud, it was in Denver uh, last week. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was my first talk at a security conference and the crowd was really good.
0: Cool. Okay, I mean, building out security programs, I know there would be people listening now and in the future that won't hear about this. Can you give the listeners some do's and don'ts when you're building out? Security program?
1: Yes, I would. If so, let's say there's not a particular framework or standard that you're accountable to based mm-hmm. on the industry you're in. I would say start with it, maybe the NIST cybersecurity framework or something like that, because these frameworks really provide immense value because they tell us exactly what to do. We don't have to start from scratch. All of this has been done the ISO world, the standards cost money. So that unless you're going for the ISO certifications, I would probably wouldn't uh, start there unless you're required to. Even NIST 800-171, the guidance in there is pretty solid. Now they are revising that standard to revision three, and I think that there's some great changes inside of that. They're also revising this cybersecurity framework to 2.0. But I would say if you're building out a security program Leverage one of these frameworks that exists today, and don't reinvent the wheel. It's already been done. Definitely take a look at some of these frameworks and uh, just uh, start from there.
0: Cool, thank you, my friend.
1: Now, when in terms of career progression, what? what why
0: do you think you got to to where you, where you got to, Jacob? Not everyone gets that level of progression. If you could try and, if I know it might be hard, can you try and maybe get it down to two or three main points that the listeners can start to really keep front of mind and take away with them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, and I personally, Thomas, I don't think I'm anything special, but I'll tell you what I think I did. And I think everyone, most people, if you're in cybersecurity, you can do this too. What I'll say is that one, I was driven. You got to have the motivation. You have to, and if you're in the right company, you will be recognized for that motivation. I've been in certain places where, and I learned my supervisor is extremely important because I, in a previous position, I was getting awards, I was getting recognized. It's not all about recognition, but it's it has a huge impact on your career. And then I went into another position with a different supervisor and all of that stopped. So your boss does make a big difference on your career. So I'll say that. But be motivated, be driven. The second piece is... I would say probably, Thomas, that communication piece, because you can be the hardest worker in the world, but if you can't communicate to upper leadership, they will end up turning you off mentally. When you start talking, they'll either say, okay, everything must be great because he's talking ones and zeros. This is great. Or that person will be saying, I I, I guess I'll have to talk to somebody else (laughs) to get the real answer. So you definitely don't want that happening, really either one, because you're not going to benefit the organization. And and that's what we want to do. We want to be a benefit to our companies and our organizations. I think one, motivation. Two, communication. Learning how to communicate to the executives in the company. And all kinds of people are different. They want to hear different things. And, And something else I've learned too, this is just a, this is free, okay? Sometimes it helps for the executive levels to hear somebody else say the same thing. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to make change happen and you're having a difficult time, see if you can get another person, a champion to help you by saying the same thing you're saying, maybe in a different way, or maybe it's just that they need to hear somebody else say it to validate that they're gonna have to spend all this money on cybersecurity. So that, that was free, that was an aside. But, I think overall, motivation, working hard, and just the communication skills and then one other thing I think is of utmost importance is integrity um and knowing that you can be trusted, knowing that you're going to be honest, even when It may not look great for you, but you're going to be honest about it. I think those three things, if you're able to pull all those together and be consistent with that, I think that is the key to uh, success overall, I would say.
0: Brilliant, mate. Brilliant answer. Thank you, Jacob. So just to summarize, so driven, be very driven, number one, be very driven, be motivated, you mentioned about having a great boss, so surrounding yourself with the right people, with making sure you've got a good team around you. And then number three, communication. Just one other point I just want to mention just to really just make sure I'm understanding it right and make sure the listeners are understanding it right. So I think it's really good. So you mentioned about someone else saying the same thing. So would that be a situation whereby, and again tying into the integrity piece and the trusted piece, say me and you, Joker, were on a, I don't know, let's say we're on a SOC team together and we knew that X, Y, and Z definitely needed implementing. Would that be a case of you'd ring me up and go, Tom, we're going into this meeting in half an hour's time. Look, we both know that thingy and thingy need sorting and we'd have that conversation prior. So we're both championing it and making sure we get the changes we need to enhance that particular security posture. Is that how that would go down?
1: Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Another way Mm. it might happen is you may be presenting to the C-suite and they might just say, I don't know. I don't like this, this and that. You might have somebody go back channel down Mm. maybe the next week and have a side conversation or something like that Mm. with the decision makers. There's a number of ways to handle it, but either way, sometimes we... (laughs) have to be humble enough to realize that we, it's, we can't do it on our own and we need somebody to help us. Mm. So whether that's a cybersecurity person or or maybe another person on the executive suite that just gets it, right, we have to operate as a team and we just have to realize that sometimes we're not enough and we need help to make things happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Jacob, this has been really good, mate. It's flow really nice. And you got time to stick around for a few potential questions is that okay yeah sure yeah cool and if anyone's got a question please raise your virtual hand now any questions at all please raise your hand
2: hi can you guys hear me
0: yes i can hear you fine can you hear okay jacob yes hi aura
2: oh uh, thank you for both um for having this podcast i just had a question a lot of your um recommendation. I feel like you'll be very helpful once I do start the position, but I'm currently not in any cybersecurity role and I want to join. I know we could get certification to stand out, but other than that, is there anything else we could do to stand out and get that first interview opportunity?
1: Yeah, I understand, understand. What what role do you want to start out in? Do you have a specific target? Is is it a, like a SOC or is it GRC?
2: At the moment, uh, I'm thinking of either information security or forensic, computer forensic. But mm-hmm. in both cases, I heard that information security is actually easier to get into for entry position because mm-hmm. the other one I try to get into A lot of required, a lot of experience, and Mm -hmm. I don't really have work experience other than college.
1: Yeah, understood. Okay, okay, I understand. Yes, so I know Thomas will definitely have some advice for you, but what I'll tell you is there is a lot of free resources from NIST that you can take a look at. And if you want to target, for example, United States federal government supporting them, that's all going to be NIST, risk management framework, RMF. But there's also like in the commercial sector, there's also PCI DSS. So 27,001 is a recognized international security standard. The only thing there is that you got to buy the standards and they're expensive. So I probably wouldn't start there. As I said before, I think that a lot of these standards and frameworks have overlap. Once you learn one of them. I think that what you learn there is transferable to many of the other standards and frameworks. Now for you, and Ara, I can only speak to the, I've been around the federal government for a while. And so I'm less up to speed on the, the requirements that commercial, the private folks have. But from what I've seen on the government space, Security Plus, that's a great certification to start out with and that probably transfers well into commercial, the side as well. So I would recommend getting the security plus getting that knocked out. You already, I think you already have a degree. So that's great. Look at, and look into Gerald Auger's course as well. And if you're interested or connect with me, I'll give you a free code for my CMMC course that, that might give you some good exposure. So please connect with me after this, but Thomas, do you have any specific advice for her? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, th- thanks, Jacob. It's, it's, it's nice to meet you, by the way, Owen. It's a well-going to a question. It's not, nice to see some confidence when you're trying to break in. I think that'll take you a long way. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you a couple of short things that I think can maybe get you some results quite quickly and then a couple of uh, longer-term plays which are, which are both effective. I'll start off with a little bit of a, a controversial one, but I think... If you can find a smaller company, so if you can go on LinkedIn and find companies with 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people where the founder is relatively accessible. If you can approach them on LinkedIn and you can offer however much you can spare, it may be two or three hours a week, it may be an hour a week, it may be a day a week. If you can offer some time to help them out with anything in and around their business activities for free, working on a virtual basis. And I know some people say you shouldn't ever work for free. It's that I really disagree. I think if you can do that uh, and do something to help my business, I think it's going to really help you with what Jacob was talking about earlier in the the show, which was you're going to, you're going to build relationships. You're going to be able to get recommendations off the back of it. The cybersecurity space is really small. So that founder will probably know many other founders. So I think that would be, a really good one. Like I say, you can, you're obviously pretty pretty confident. So I could see you reaching out to people on a on, on LinkedIn. If you first connected with them, you can send them a voice note through the mobile app. And you can send them a video through the mobile app. You can only do it through the mobile app. You can't do it uh, on your desktop. And they're the two most effective ways to get responses from people when you're reaching out to them on LinkedIn. It really makes you stand out from the doors. I think another one you can look at is resume formatting. Again, Aura, feel free to ping your resume to me on LinkedIn. We can have a look at it. I, I think uh, the, the, the kind of entry-level area of the market it is fiercely competitive. It's At the senior end, you've got recruiters like me chasing you down. and It's very candidate-led at the, at the entry level, and it's very kind of client-led. So I think don't be afraid to be very polite and, and, and very persistent. And then just a, a couple more on the long-term plays. I noticed Tyler is on the call now. So... Tyler's got a fantastic, Tyler Ramsby's got a fantastic personal brand and he does a lot for the community and I think if you can do stuff on Twitch to help people, if you could say document your journey, say from now to moving forward or what you've been up to in the last six months, if you can document that on LinkedIn, Twitch, YouTube channels, it just gives you a resume, it makes your resume 3D and if employers can see you apply, and they can go, right, oh, okay, she's done that on YouTube. She's done that on LinkedIn. It will make your application stand out over hundreds and hundreds of others. Because if they can go on LinkedIn and watch a video of you, or they can see that you're just posting on a frequent basis, it just makes them feel like they they know you before they've, before they've met you. Does that all make sense, Aura?
2: Yeah. By the way, I did send out my resume. So if you do ever have a chance... Oh, totally yeah, if,
0: yeah, if you can, yeah, if you can resend it, apologies, I've got, I get reached out quite a lot. So if you want to ping it on TIN or via email again, if you do it today, I'll definitely come straight back on it.
2: Okay, that would be great. Uh, yeah. One more thing about free volunteering. I remember you mentioned that in your previous podcast too, but for that, I was thinking, is there any like security issues if I ever do that? Because I do remember when I was trying to first get an internship, a lot of the times, in the beginning, I wasn't a U.S. citizen, but now I am. But, like, they were saying I can't even get a position higher because of that as a security issue. Yeah.
0: I think it would depend on the company. What do you think, Jacob?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It depends on what sector they would be in and, and who they support. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I think now that you—and congratulations, by the way, on that's huge. But I, I do think it depends on the sector. I think the field should be open for you now smaller
0: this or the smaller the company the usually the quicker you can develop a relationship with with people internally
2: okay that'll be great thank you so much
0: cool no worries thanks for your question thank you anyone anyone else got any questions at all going once I'm yeah. um, do oh, I, mean, I know you can't get your question. Perhaps I mean, if you want to ping me or Jacob on LinkedIn, just ping us a DM, connection request DM, and perhaps we can answer your question over LinkedIn. But no, Jacob, thank, thanks, mate. It's been, it's been really good, mate. It's flown flow really nicely. And thanks for all the info, mate.
1: Appreciate the invite. Thank you Nate. very much. And thanks for everybody listening. Really appreciate your time too. Yeah, and likewise. Thank you. See you later, everyone. Cheers, everyone. Have a great week.